Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Adam Newman. She was like, I've never taken anybody's virginity before. And I was like, you're about to, which is the coolest thing I've ever said. I think it's the coolest thing a virgin has ever said. And they're alive. That and more. But before that, you know, the storystudio.org is where you'll find so many storytelling training opportunities, like our two-day live online group storytelling for business workshop on May 15th and May 16th with Brad Lawrence. Brad is a phenomenal teacher. He coaches a lot of the storytellers for risk, but he also teaches a lot of our corporate workshops for individual businesses. But this group storytelling for business workshop that he's teaching on May 15th and 16th, it could be from anyone, any career path, and Brad will help you craft little stories that motivate and inspire as well as inform your coworkers or your clients or your customers. That and so much more is over at thestorystudio.org. Now here's the show. Hello, kids. This is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison. This is Aura Graph behind me now, and we're calling this week's episode Scattered. These are three funny stories about people in situations where they were a little bit at a loss as to what they were doing. <laughs> I, uh, I can very much relate to that. Large swaths of my time are spent that way. Oh, you know what's coming up is a movie about someone who is rather uh, scattered that I'm going to be hosting. I'm go I'm hosting an interactive online viewing of The Big Lebowski via this platform called Sidestream.com. I'll be on screen alongside the movie, riffing on trivia and interacting with you guys in the text chat and having kind of like a mystery science theater sort of fun time with this amazing movie. You go to bit.ly slash kevdude. It's Thursday, May 20th, at 9.15 Eastern, and the movie itself will start at 9.30, so I hope to see some of you there. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear a story that Adam Newman shared at our Los Angeles show before the pandemic, and before that, we're going to hear a story, it has been so long since we've heard something, from Nina Moses, who was one of the first interns that ever worked for the show back when the show was brand new. Oh, it was so sweet to hear Nina's voice again. You can find her on Twitter at Nina underscore Moses. That's M-O-Z-E-S. And here she is now with a story we call Fuck Them If They Can't Take a Joke. I love to tell dumb jokes, okay? I like terrible puns, and I will grab at low-hanging fruit if it means I get a laugh. But I try to reel it in if I'm in a more professional setting, like say, I don't know, the dean's office at a pretty prestigious university. It's my senior year of college, and I'm working at the Office of Student Life, where I report to an office manager that supports about four or five deans, I can't remember. A few other students work in the office as well, and since we're all about to graduate, 
our bosses throw us a little breakfast send-off. So we're sitting in a boardroom. It's the students, nervously hunching over our bagels, along with some support staff and several deans. The deans start to tell us where they were in life when they were our age. I have no idea what anyone said, except for one woman, Dean Hansen. She was the coolest. She had glossy silver hair, a great power walk, and it was publicly known that she was a lesbian because she and her partner were the first lesbian couple to legally adopt each other's children in the entire state. It was a small state, but still, a pretty big deal. So we get to Dean Hansen, and she says, Well, when I was 22, my life was pretty different. I was married to a man. I was a housewife, and I was making a lot of home-cooked meals. And then, things changed. So I go, oh, so you started eating out more. It was a completely innocent remark. She says she's cooking at home and things changed. I make a joke about her going out to eat. Of course, my coworkers look horrified. Two of the deans fall off their chairs laughing, and I'm confused. I mean, I knew it wasn't that good of a joke. But Dean Hansen just goes, that's right, Nina, like nothing is wrong. So after the breakfast, I'm still oblivious, and I say to her, I am so sorry if I said anything inappropriate. I did not mean to offend. But she cuts me off and says, Nina, never apologize. So that makes me feel a little bit better. Until one day, long after I'd graduated, it hits me. Oh my God. In front of four university deans, their office staff, and my peers, I made a joke about my boss eating pussy. But the best part is, she knew. And in her own classy, professorial way, still said, fuck them if they can't take a joke. 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 Figured for the special holiday story, I would share the old Lost My Virginity story. It happened uh, Thanksgiving break, my freshman year of high school. Uh, sorry, uh, college. Uh, <laughs> I wish it was high school. Uh, it was freshman year of college. I did not get laid in high school at all. I feel like freshman year of college is like late-ish, normal-ish, late end, maybe. I never had sex in high school, though, and I think it's for two specific reasons. The first one is, I was a new kid. Uh, we moved from New Hampshire to Georgia in the middle of high school, and like no one from the North wants to do that. Like that's a, moving to the Deep South is a nightmare when you're, especially in high school, from a small little high school. First day of high school for me in Georgia, I had to stand up in my homeroom class and go, hi, my name is Adam, I just moved here from New England, and a girl raised her hand and goes, oh yeah, then why don't you have a British accent? And I was like, oh my God! It's worse than we thought. And uh, 
I was like, no, it's the states in the northern United, northeastern United. For your guys' purpose, I grew up in a little town called Bow, B-O-W, Bow, New Hampshire. I go, I grew up in a little town, uh, Bow, New Hampshire. And she goes, Boner, Hampshire? I was like, yeah, Boner, Hampshire. Yeah, this great state of Hampshire is where I grew up, little town called Boner. Um, borders right along uh, Assachusetts on this side, and we got Chode Island here, we got Connecticut here, Boner, you know, zip code 80085, that's boobs on a calculator, you gotta go back to high school to remember that stuff. So I was a new kid, and it was like hard for me to make friends in high school and stuff, and then the second main reason I don't think I lost my virginity in high school was that my rebellion for moving was I decided that I was going to have dreadlocks, and so... <laughs> From age 15 to 20, I had shoulder-length dreadlocks, and whenever I tell people I had dreadlocks, they have the same three questions, okay? The first one is, why? And I can tell you that one very quickly. When I was 15, the band Korn was very cool, okay? Second question they want to know is, how? And that one is uh, also pretty easy. Uh, the early days of the internet, there were two uh, websites that were great resources for white people who wanted to have dreads. Uh, one of them was called dreadheadhq.com, where you could buy all of your dread needs as far as beeswaxes and special soaps and pet combs. To, I could talk about this for a long time, but we won't do that. You could download your Windows Media Player videos, tutorials. And the uh, second website was naughtyboy.com. That is K-N-O-T-T-Y, which I did not get the second meaning of that until earlier today when I decided to tell the story. Um, so, cut to, I ended up going to college in Georgia, and freshman year, uh, you know, the world opened up to me, and there's, a, there's not a huge pool of people willing to have sex with an 18-year-old with dreadlocks and big old plugs in their ears, uh, acne, you know, very much related to the dreadlocks, and so... <laughs> It was a one-person pool, basically, and I'll tell you who it was. It was the 25-year-old waitress at the all-night diner in Athens, Georgia. There's a diner that we all used to go to that was all ours. It was like, you know, the bars closed at 2, and we would all be at this diner at 3 o'clock in the morning after drinking, you know? Like, I, we had fake, we all had fake, we had fake IDs in, uh, in Athens. I had a fake ID. You know, okay, so everyone who has fake IDs, you either have a real ID that is somebody else's who looks similar to you, or you have a fake ID that someone made that has basically your face and all that information on it. I had the worst combination. Of, I had the fake ID with somebody else on it. I had the worst fake ID in the world. It was a guy, I'm 6'1", it was a guy 5'6", uh, balding, easily 15 years older than me, and his name was Dave Matthews. And um, <laughs> lived on 1234 Satellite Lane. But in Athens, Georgia, that ID works just fine. You literally needed a piece of cardboard with a stick figure on it to drink in that city. And so we would all go drinking, and then we would go to this 24-hour diner, and uh, they were known for fries and feta. For like three bucks, you got like fries with a little cup of liquid feta. I don't know, but we were all super into it back then. And um, we were out there, you know, we were drinking there one night, and then the next day, my buddy Joe, who I went to college with, he worked as a line cook there. So the next day, he called me, and he was like, hey, man, um, one of the waitresses thinks you're hot. And uh, she gave me her number to give to you, and she will totally do it with you, right? And I was like, all right. I don't even know what she looked like at that point. Uh, but like when you're 18 and you haven't lost your virginity yet and you're a guy, and I don't know, for me at least, it was just like, whatever. And um, he was like, you know, she's cool. She's got tattoos and, you know, those big stupid things you have in your ears and stuff. So maybe you guys will get along. And I was like, all right, I'm in. And so I called her. She was like, I'm so happy you called. Do you want to hang out tonight? I was like, yeah, what's going on? And she goes, this is Athens, Georgia. She goes, REM is playing a secret show at the Georgia Theater. They would do, REM is from Athens, and they would play these secret shows over like holidays when they were in town. And I was like, oh my God, like, I'm going to get laid and see REM tonight. I've lived here for like two months. This is the greatest, Athens, Georgia is the greatest place in the world. I was like, absolutely, let's do this. 
I didn't say let's do this, but I was very excited. And uh, so I met her. She's like, let's meet at the diner. We met outside the diner in, in downtown Athens, Georgia. And uh, we, uh, she, goes, she goes, we'll go to the show. We'll drink and pre-party, and then we'll go to the show. And I was like, great. And so we met her, and we kind of like walked around the city for a little bit and talked, and she was very easy to talk to. And then she was like, let's go get some beers and drink them before the show. And I was like, great. I got money, but I'm not 21. And she goes, that's cool. I'm 25. And I didn't know she was 25 at the time, and it was just like instant boner. I was like, oh my God. Like that was so hot to me that she was like so old. And um, <laughs> and so she's like, I'll buy the beers. And I was like, awesome. And then, uh, so she has a monster truck. Like, I mean, it's a pickup truck with big wheels, but I was like, oh, it was like a monster truck. And we got in her truck and she drives to this parking lot of this liquor store. And um, she's like, I'll go in and get them. What do you want? And I was like, Newcastle. It was the only beer I had heard of at that point uh, that I liked. And uh, so she goes, so I'm waiting in the passenger seat. And when she goes in to the liquor store, while she's walking in one door, the other door walking out is Mike Mills from REM. He's walking out, and she doesn't see him because they're like walking in at the same time. They don't see each other, and I'm like, "Oh my god!" And uh, th his car is parked right next to her truck. Like I'm in the passenger, I'm just in the passenger seat of this like monster truck with the window down. And uh, he gets into the car next door, and I just went, "Hey, Mike, see you at your show tonight, right?" And he like looks up, and he just gave me like a okay. It was a very weird thing. And he got in the car, and he drove off, and I'm just like, "I met Mike Mills. Like it was so exciting, and I'm gonna get laid tonight. Like Athens is the greatest." place in the world and uh, so she comes back with the you know 12 new castles or whatever and she gets in the car and I was like I just I was like Mike Mills just got out of the liquor store and she goes who and I was like from R.E.M. and she was like ah oh, cool whatever I guess she didn't seem to really care and um so we drove back to her apartment it's funny because I remember thinking how great her apartment was, but like I lived in the dorms. So she had like posters of bands and a couch, and I was like, this is awesome. And, uh, <laughs> and we start drinking the beers, and we're like getting along really well, and it's really fun, and she's easy to talk to, and uh, we're getting kind of drunk, and we're drinking for like, I don't know, like two hours we're like drinking for her. We're getting like pretty drunk. And all of a sudden, she like goes into her bedroom and closes the door, and I'm waiting for like 15 minutes. So I'm like, this is weird. And, uh, and then my buddy Joe from the diner calls and he goes, hey man, how's it going? And I was like, it's going pretty good. Like we're getting along, we've been drinking, but like she's in her room and she's been there for like 20 minutes. I don't know what to do. He's like, she wants you to go in after her, man. And I was like, all right. And so I hung up the phone and I was, uh, I was like, all right, I'm just gonna go in. And so I kind of like knocked on the door and like opened it, opened it and she was like, took you long enough or whatever. And like, I, she's like, like sitting on the bed, like listening to music, drinking a beer or whatever. And so I came in, I came in and she was like, sit on the bed. And I was like, all right, I sat on the bed. And she was like, and she literally goes like, so you're a virgin, huh? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, I've never taken anybody's virginity before. And I was like, you're about to, which is the coolest thing I've ever said. I think it's the coolest thing a virgin has ever said. And they're alive. And we immediately start like making out and stuff. This is probably also like the second time I've ever made out. Uh, it's, I did not, it was, high school was rough for me. And uh, so we're like making out and like, she's like taking her own clothes off. And I was always like, I thought I was supposed to do that. I was kind of disappointed with that. But then I was like, I guess I'll take my clothes off or whatever. And we're like taking clothes off. And uh, like, we even took like, you know, we even got to point where like pants were off. And like, I never had sex. So I was like, and no one's ever, I was like, she's going to make fun of my, and she didn't make fun of my dick. I was like, this is going great so far. And like, Pixie's wave of mutilation is playing and I'm like that's a good song but a weird title to like lose your virginity to so I, I don't know how I felt about that and then you know we're getting like naked and uh, I had I pulled it's so awkward but like I pulled out it's all awkward first time sex stuff but, like I pulled out my wallet which had like four condoms in it because I was like I don't know how many you need and stuff and like it's like <laughs> wallet has like imprints of condoms in it and so I took out the condom and like I put it on and I was like I did it <laughs> you know uh, <laughs> and I'm trying like we're trying you know we're I'm trying to be on top, but like I can't find it. It's it's embarrassing because it's fine. I feel like okay, I guess talking about it now because now I know where it is or whatever. But like back then, like I never, I didn't realize how underneath they were. It's so stupid. But like you watch sex scenes in movies and they're just like so on top of each other. Like I just, I don't know. It was just awkward and I, I couldn't like find it. And she's like, this is weird. And at one point I said like, maybe I should try it from behind. And she goes, you're not ready for that. And I was like, I know, I know. 
I know it's embarrassing because I know how drunk I was and I still remember it so clearly. Like, and so she's like, I, let me, let me. And she like put me on my back, which I was very excited about because this, this is a very weird detail, but like um, uh, if you've, any of you have ever had like big dreadlocks, <laughs> like laying in them, it's like a big old pillow. It's such, I, I miss it. I miss it. I get ghost dread sometime. I miss them. But like I loved laying in them. It was a comfortable place for me. And she got on top and it's, you know, we started having sex and stuff. And she's on top of me and, and you know, and I'm like, this is great. But also I was like, I doesn't feel like anything. I was drunk and a condom, I know. But I also just remember always hearing that guys just finished like immediately. And I just remember being like, I'm never going to, I knew I was, I knew I wasn't gonna finish like the second we started but I was just happy to be there you know like it was very exciting and it's going and so it's like going for like a while and uh, it's going for like kind of a long time to the point where I could feel that I was like chafing like on either side like my thighs like either side and it was like starting to hurt it was starting to like hurt a little bit oh and then all of a sudden her uh I didn't even know she had a roommate. He must have gotten home like when I was there. He just opens the door while she's on top of me and goes, there are beer bottles all over the place. And she goes, I'll get them tomorrow. I'm fucking this guy. And I was like, oh. And I just went, it's my first time. And, uh, <laughs> and so he left and I'm in pain and chafing. She's very tattooed and she has very new tattoos on her hands and they're bleeding and I noticed that they're bleeding while I'm chafing and in pain and I remember thinking like okay uh, she has open wounds and I think I have open wounds and I know I'm wearing a condom but like I'm getting AIDS right now I'm like I, I just remember being like I'm definitely Getting AIDS, and, and uh, this isn't a healthy thought, but like in the moment, I specifically remember thinking then, I don't have money. This isn't gonna be like fun Magic Johnson AIDS. This is gonna, I'm gonna die from the first, it went from like, I'm gonna see REM and get laid to like, I'm gonna get AIDS and die from the first time I have sex. Athens is not so fun anymore. And it's like hurting, it's like hurting a lot. And at some point she goes like, are you going to finish? And I was like, I don't, I don't think so, but I'm having fun and stuff. And um, <laughs> So we went for like a little longer and it's like, it's, it's painful. And so we like stopped and she was like, it's okay. Do you want me to drive you home? I was just like, yeah, yeah, drive me home. Um, I don't know, I, in my head I thought I was gonna stay or whatever or we were gonna go to an REM show, but she was like, can I drive you home? And I was like, yeah. And so she drove me back to the dorms and laughed at me because I lived in the dorms. And I went inside and uh, I was like, I gotta take a shower, that, this hurts and this, that was dirty and I need to take a shower. And so, you know, we have uh, one shower, we have a, the showers for the entire floor and it's like three o'clock in the morning and I go in the shower and as soon as the hot water hits, I'm like, ow, like that hurts a lot. And I'm like looking and I'm like, those look painful, they, they are painful and they look bad and my dick is just like red because we've been having uh, sex for so long. And I'm like freaking out. I'm like, I have, this is, a, this is what AIDS looks like. This has to be what AIDS looks like. This is what it is. I'm having a panic attack. You know, I, I'm an anxious person. I have, I have whatever. And um, so I, you know, I dry off and I go back to my dorm and I'm just freaking out. And I'm like, I, I, gotta, I gotta go to the emergency room. I have to go to the emergency room. And so I drove myself to the emergency room and I went right up to the desk and the guy's like, what do you need? What can I help you with? And I was like, I just got AIDS. And um, he was like, what? And I was like, I have AIDS. I have, I have full blown AIDS. I need to see a doctor. And they let me in like immediately. There's like people with like arms hanging off and they just like let me in. And a doctor was like, okay, so you have AIDS? And I was like, I think I got it tonight. <laughs> he was like, you can't get it tonight. I was like, well, then I got like some serious STD. I got it tonight. And he's like, are you sexually active? I was like, yes. And he was like, <laughs> He's like, how long have you been sexually active for? And I was like, tonight? And, uh, and I have an STD. And he was like, it doesn't work like that. And I was like, look, can you just please look? Like, it's definitely serious. And he was like, okay. And so I pulled down my pants and I, I showed it to him. And he literally said, all right, man. Um, sometimes they just look weird. And... <laughs> Then he sent me home with a Benadryl and that cost me $300. And so the next day, Joe called me and he goes, how'd it go? And I was like, I'm not gonna tell him about the emergency room. That stuff's like embarrassing, you know? And um, so I was like, I think it went pretty well. I was like, we had sex, you know? And we got along, but I was kind of bummed because uh, we never made it to the REM show. 
And he goes, what REM show? And I go, oh, REM was playing like a secret show at the Georgia Theater last night. She knew about it. And he goes, I was at the Georgia Theater last night. Like, I know the band who was playing. REM, REM never had a show at the Georgia Theater. So she just completely made it up, which is silly because she didn't have to. Like, she used it as an excuse, like, as a reason for us to get together and drink or whatever. But, like, all she had to do is say, like, just come over and drink and we'll have sex. So I would have taken that. But... But the fact that she did lay that out and then the coincidence that I actually saw Mike Mills and was like, see you at your show tonight just makes him think I'm even a bigger fucking idiot. But like, <laughs> but I guess in retrospect, like I look at it, I'm like, you know, that whole night cost me 300 bucks. I got laid. I found out that just cause your thighs are bleeding doesn't mean you have AIDS. And I got to meet uh, one of the dudes from REM. So I guess Athens, Georgia still is a pretty great place. And it was over Thanksgiving break, so the next day I had tons to be thankful for at the Thanksgiving table. I think that's it for me. Thank you all very much. This is Risk, this is R.E.M. behind me now, and we just heard from Adam Newman, who you can find at adamnewmancomedy.com. Before that, a little interstitial that our audio editor, John LaSala, created. He created a song out of some of some of the dialogue in Nina, no- Nina Moses's... <laughs> Sorry about that. He created a little song out of bits of dialogue from Nina Moses's anecdote that she shared earlier. Fuck them if they can't take a joke. Folks, the next Risk live stream show is on Friday, May 14th at 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Our last live stream show was sold out and was just like, a knockout. So get your tickets for the May 14th one ASAP. The tickets are at risk-show.com slash tour. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey is the name of this new game that you can play on your iPhone or your Android you are uncovering the mystery of June's sister's murder. It's this well-to-do family in the 1920s living in a great Gatsby-like mansion. Each scene uncovers new aspects of the story. Some parts are in New York. Some parts are in Paris. There's all kinds of objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not. You collect information, filling out your own photo album, and you're keeping track of all the characters. There's romance, there's 
scandalous family secrets. It feels like a really fun play or movie. And I've only made it through like five scenes, but I am told you could crack the case. All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our final story on this week's episode is such a treat. You know, it has long been a tradition of the show to record much more material than we're able to feature on the podcast. We used to be averaging about anywhere from four to six live shows per month, but then the pandemic hit and it turned out that that was so fortunate for us that we had all these archives of stories that we had not yet run. (laughs) Like... It was a lifesaver. And here is a perfect example of one of those that I've wanted to run for forever. And I'm like, great, great that we still have it. This is Marga Gomez at the San Francisco Sketchfest Risk Live show of January 2019. You can find Marga at margagomez.com. Here she is now with a story we call The Gentleman's Butler. Thank you. Thank you so much. Hang on. Ah, Cheers. I don't have an alcohol problem unless the drinks are free. And then I have to admit to God and to myself that I am powerless over free stuff. And that's why I must never travel first class again. (laughs) The last time I did was over a year ago. I was flown by a TV show from San Francisco to Paris uh to appear in a wedding scene that was a queer wedding scene with a diverse cast at the Eiffel Tower, and I was getting paid for that. (laughs) Now, there was going to be a five-hour layover in Mexico City, which I considered a bonus. because this would give me more time to meet the other actors on my flight and hang out with them in the Aero Mexico first class VIP lounge, (laughs) which was free stuff from wall to wall. Free Wi-Fi, uh, free alcohol, free champagne, which is alcohol, I suppose, but it's Mexican champagne, which really gets you wasted. Free food, selfies and selfies, and then after that, another flight to Paris. This was a triple first-class experience to me. I got into a deep conversation with one of the actors in the VIP lounge, which is the only kind of conversation you can have with an actor. (laughs) And uh, we almost missed our connecting flight to Paris. We had to to run all over this giant Mexico City airport, and we finally found the gate at the last minute, and she stops short of the line and freaks out and says, I lost my boarding pass, I can't find my boarding pass. And I say, hey, it's okay. They'll print you another one. We're first class. I left her and I said, I'll see you on the plane. And I breezed through the gate because I'm a savvy traveler. I'm TSA pre. 
just before I get to the door of the airplane, I notice this massive newspaper kiosk, right? Steps away from the door to the plane. And it's full of Mexican newspapers. And they're all free. <laughs> que viva Mexico! And I grab one of each publication. Huh? My Spanish sucks, but I figure I'm gonna have time on the flight to drink more and learn my language. I'm greeted at the door by Milan, an adorable gay flight attendant who says, bonjour, Mrs. Gomez. And then he escorts me to seat 3A, which is the best seat in first class. My seat, C3A, is walled off from the other passengers. It's like a clamshell. It's better than my studio apartment. <laughs> it's like my studio apartment and my vagina had a baby. And, <laughs> and inside 3A, there is a seat that converts to a bed and several Kama Sutra positions. <laughs> And the armrests of C3A have all these perks. You can get hot shatsu, hot shatsu, and listen to podcasts. There are shelves, there are cabinets in C3A, and every kind of tiny house innovation. <laughs> and I recognize C3A as home, and I feel blessed. Before takeoff, uh, Milan appears with more warm nuts and champagne. I am uh, just uh, so excited because he's giving me a goodie bag, a French goodie bag filled with all manner of French toothpaste, I think it's called dentifrice, and Parisian uh, lotions, and balm, and oils from Paris, and every kind of basic that you need for sleep, slippers, and sleep shades, and earplugs, and everything I would need except for Xanax, which I had personally packed into the side compartment of my backpack. I knew where all my stuff was. I was very organized. The night before, I made a packing list, and I never check bags. I only take carry-on, because check bags slow you down. And I'm savvy, I'm TSA pre. <laughs> I even had an anti-theft travel belt. Don't call it a fanny pack. It is an official anti-theft travel belt to foil the Parisian pickpockets I had heard so much about and to protect my cherished telephone and passport. And I had really nailed the preparation for this trip to Paris. And I thought, mm, just one more selfie before we depart. And I reached into my anti-theft travel belt and something was missing. One of the worst parts about losing your passport on an international flight while being brown is the looks that you get when you tell it to white people and brown people and black people. And actors are the worst to tell it to. Before we took off, I tiptoed through all the clamshells in first class and I peered in and asked the actors if they had seen anything or heard anything about a stray passport. <laughs> all I wanted was a yes or no. I didn't want empathy. I didn't want steel magnolia reactions. <laughs> 
and I for sure didn't want advice from my friend who 15 minutes prior had lost her boarding pass and was now telling me, you know what I like to do is retrace my steps. I was about to say, how dare you? How dare you, I wanted to tell her. I wanted to tell her that you are the reason this happened to me. But then Milan gently guided me back to seat 3A and he asked me, is everything okay, Mrs. Gomez? And I buckled myself in and I said, uh, Milan, uh, je pense, uh, avez-vous voir mon passeport? <laughs> uh, je pense qu'il tombait. Et si pouvez-vous téléphoner le gate in Mexico City ou le first class VIP lounge? And Milan said, well, no, we can't do that. We're about to take off and we're going to close the door. Are you sure you don't have it, Mrs. Gomez? And I really hated to lie to my gay brown brother. <laughs> but if I told Milan the truth, then he would stop everything and call the authorities and I would be sent back to San Francisco and I would not appear in the queer friendly wedding scene at the Eiffel Tower. So I said, oh, no, no, j'espère, maman, maman, and I slapped my head and I slapped my back pocket and I said, here's my passport, my passport is in my back and I was practically fondling myself. I was kind of just grabbing my ass to calm myself down. It's in my back pocket, Milan. No worries. I have my passport. Champagne goes to my head. Maybe I should switch to Bailey's and vodka. And <laughs> and that made me seem more honest. And he walked away and we took off and I sat in my seat for the longest time and I couldn't do anything but re-examine my life. <laughs> the seatbelt sight went off and then I, I retraced my steps, not because she told me to, because that's just what you do, you have time. I saw myself at the gate in Mexico City. I saw myself showing my passport and boarding pass to the agent and then fist pumping my passport. And then I'm approaching the door and I saw the kiosk with the newspapers and I realized that's where my passport is in the bundle of newspapers I brought on the flight. Later on, the lights dimmed and everyone in first class was asleep, but my clamshell was lit and alive with the sound of newspapers rustling. I leafed through them, I shook the newspapers, and then I tore at the newspapers. For hours and hours, I tore and shredded the newspapers, and then I got down on my hands and my knees, and I crawled under my seat and I searched with my phone flashlight for the passport. And I had to admit, accept that my passport was not on this plane. I drank more and ate more. <laughs> it's all I could do. There was no one to talk to, they were asleep. Milan was always there with his warm nuts. And I think maybe it was too much free booze, but I finally confessed the whole situation to him. And I'll never forget his sad look before he walked away and the vest going farther and farther away. And then I turned my seat into a bed and I put my shatsu massage on high and I passed out and I dreamt that Milan brought me a giant croissant and underneath that, was my passport. <laughs> when I woke up, I was covered in, in tattered newspaper <laughs> and cold nuts and we landed and I 
was now detained. And I waved to all my actor friends as they were leaving the plane, and I asked them to please get help for me. I stepped away from my seat, and the uh, cleaning crew did a CSI inspection, tore my 3A apart looking for the passport, and then the supervisor of Aeromejo made in a, a visit to the plane, and he half-heartedly called Mexico City, and then he said, your passport isn't there. You'll have to go back to Mexico. And I said to him, no, 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 no. That's the same in every language. No, no, no. I said, uh, I, I can't go back to Mexico. I, you see, my origin was San Francisco. I, I'm from San Francisco, and so please check my itinerary. I have to go back to San Francisco. And he said, wait here, Mrs. Gomez. The French address American women as Mrs. It's a feminist thing they do. I could not use my fucking phone. I, I didn't know how to, I can't call in Europe. Their numbers are crazy. <laughs> and, and my battery was, was really almost dead on my phone and I was hungover. And, oh, so hungover. Two cops arrived to the plane and they motioned for me to walk behind one of them while the other walked behind me, and that's how I left first class. <laughs> we walked, we did this whole Macarena thing off <laughs> the plane, and, uh, and I realized this is bad. This was so bad. This was so, this is maybe the worst thing for me ever. It was so bad that I got severely horny right away with one cop in front of me, one cop behind me. Severely horny, and then I also had this horrifying urge to severely poop. And then I, I tried to use my high school French to explain the situation that happened. And all they could say to me was, rapide, 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 yelling at me like I was a terrorist. Me, a terrorist. What kind of terrorist loses her passport? Only an amateur. Now these cops are taking me on a perp walk through Charles de Gaulle. Not the person, the airport. And, <laughs> and I'm struggling with my carry-ons. My carry-ons were so heavy, and plus I also had the goodie bag with my cosmetics from Paris. I had, oh, I'm gonna lose that. I'm gonna take that to prison. And, uh, <laughs> And I, and, I, and, I, and I had wished that I had one of those Roly carry-ons, but I never used them. I never use the Rollies because if it's a crowded flight, the airline will always make you check the Rollies, and I cannot be separated from my stuff. And then I realized, I'm gonna be separated from all my stuff. Because I am an unidentified brown, hungover woman and I am going from first class to a detention center in Paris and then Mexico City. Who knows? I didn't know much about detention centers, just the ones in the United States because I had watched all about them in 2016 when this happened on the news, Trump's detention centers, the immigration ban, and all these people who were suddenly thrown in them and had to sleep on the floor, or maybe an insulated pad if they were lucky, and the children, and they were all separated from their people, and I sent money online to legal defense. I didn't know. I didn't know if the money helped, and I didn't know what happened to those people, and now I was maybe going to be in this vortex. I got to the jail in the airport. It was down some steps, and these cops brought me to their boss, the cop boss. <laughs> and he motioned for me to sit on a bench. And then they just ignored me, and I didn't know what was gonna happen, and the phone rang. My phone rang, my phone was almost dead, but it lasted. My phone was a champ. And on the other line, there was a gentleman who said, Hello, Marga. My name is Roger. 
I was notified by your production company of your situation, and I'm so sorry that happened to you. But I want you to know, Marga, that we are working to connect with an official from the airport who will give you a special code. And we will give that code to the police and they will let you go. But Marga, I can't guarantee we will connect with this official because he's on vacation. And I said, <laughs> I said to Roger, but, but Roger, what if we can't get the code? What if we can't get the code? And Roger said, well then, I'm so very sorry, Marga. And then I, I said, hang on, Roger. And I, and I told the cops, and Roger said, don't talk to the police in French. They hate that. Just keep your phone on and wait for my call. And I sat there, they ignored me, and I thought about how this whole trip began, how happy I was, how great everything seemed, how blessed I felt, and how cursed I was right now. <laughs> and how my phone probably would not last for this code call from Roger, because I had wasted the battery using the flashlight to look under my seat. And I I had a charger, but I didn't have the adapter. And who cares, because the authorities would probably take my phone away from me, take my laptop away from me. How would I sleep in a detention center without my earplugs and white noise machine? <laughs> and then the phone rang again, and Roger had the code and told me to hand the phone to the boss cop. I did. For some reason, he took the phone, he listened to Roger, mean, mean face, mean face, then his face got dazed and stunned as he listened to the code. And then he said, d'accord. <laughs> I'm outside the Charles de Gaulle airport with no cops. I'm going to be in the wedding scene in the Eiffel Tower because I am free. And I keep telling myself, I'm free, I'm free, but I'm shaking, I'm shaking. And the best part of it all was I was with Roger. Roger's not his real name. I just call him Roger because he reminds me of Roger Moore, the best James Bond. <laughs> Roger came back with a trolley. He had put my carry-ons on there. Even if he hadn't rescued me, I really believe that Roger was the most beautiful man in Paris. He had wavy hair, kind eyes, a European scarf, tweed suit, self-possessed. <laughs> and he said to me, well, I'm so sorry that happened to you, Marga. Cigarette? <laughs> I don't smoke, but fuck it. I just got an airport jail pass. And I asked him, while I smoked, I said, Roger, how did you do it? How did you do it? What is this celeb, this code, this code? Roger, what is this code? And he said, well, all I can tell you is we call it the celebrity code for difficult situations to use with authorities. And I wondered, like, does Beyonce use this celebrity code? <laughs> and I said, Roger, please, let me take a selfie with you. And he said, oh no, no, he couldn't take selfies in his line of work. And then I wouldn't quit until he told me what he did for a living. He said, well, Marga, I guess you can call me a gentleman's butler, which is something I've always wanted. I've always been envious of celebrities and their privileges, but now I'm grateful to celebrities because without that celebrity code, I wouldn't be here tonight. The celebrity code was able to pull more strings for me with the U.S. Embassy, and I was able to get a temporary passport to be in Paris and leave Paris. And I'm ashamed to tell you this last part of the story, but... I lost that temporary passport. <laughs> I... 
I thought I lost it when I went to the Harvey Milk Library in the Castro to get some free books. <laughs> and it's, they're very lightweight, they're like toys. I mean, they're really hard to keep track of. And so I had to call the U.S. passport office and explain the whole thing and can't, there was no Roger. I had to do it all myself. And then after my passport, my temporary passport was voided, I was told by a, a cashier at my neighborhood Walgreens that they found my passport. And it was in the Walgreens safe. I didn't even know there was a Walgreens safe. I can't use it. I don't have a passport, but I want to apply again. I, want, I have to apply again because you know, with everything that's happening under this administration, sometimes you just want to go to Mexico. <laughs> que viva Mexico! That is all for this week's episode, folks. This is Blondie behind me now, and we just heard from Marga Gomez, who you can find at margagomez.com. Well, listen, folks, if you love what we do here on Risk and over at the Story Studio 2, the support of our fans could not be more crucial and could not be more appreciated. By becoming a member over at patreon.com slash risk, you'll have access to dozens of hours of bonus content, lots and lots more stories, interviews with staff and storytellers, my own personal check-ins, like the one we just put up, and I should give a shout-out to Karen Weaver. We always give a shout-out to anyone who is donating $25 or more per month. Thank you so, so much, Karen, for helping keeping the show going. And if you'd like to make a one-time donation, that is at paypal.me slash risk show. Hey, have you ever wanted to share an anecdote on the show? One of those super short stories, like the one that Nina Moses told at the beginning of this week's episode? You know, stories that focus mostly on just one incident. Well, now everything you need to know about pitching us your anecdotes is at risk-show.com slash anecdotes. And if you have a full-length story you want to pitch to us, just go to risk-show.com slash submissions. You can also follow us on our socials. We're at Risk Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I'm at the Kevin Allison. The Risk Podcast Fans Discussion Group is on Facebook. It's a great place to talk about the podcast with fellow fans, as is our subreddit, Risk Podcast. And folks, did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? I love 
working with people of all walks of life on preparing presentations or stories or memoirs or whatever it might be. And that is all at KevinAllison.com. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk. You have no idea the fear you calm in me every night. I come back home through that squeaky back door. I was on the fence until the squeaky door part, but that was the final blow. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I didn't even hear that squeaky door. <laughs> Sorry about that. <laughs>